Hey guys, welcome to episode 31 of Next on the Platform this week, uh, another special Australian episode. Uh, I've got on Jackson and Josh with me. How are you today, guys? Yeah, good. Um, so, you know, obviously in Australia recently, um, it's been pretty tough for a lot of people. So how have you guys been going with training? Because I know you've both been training uh, kind of at home or just where you can. What, is, what does it kind of look like for you in the last 6, 12 months? I'll go first. Uh, train for me... I'm originally from a town called Orange, so I trained there a bit uh, before lockdown officially sort of commenced. I just trained at the gym up there and then, you know, a bit of training at home. And I came back down to Wollongong because my uni semester was about to start. And I've just been training ever since in Wollongong, just with like a a verve rack, power bar and a couple of comp plates. Mm. How do you find training at home? Look, it's initially... uh, I found it was a bit challenging because you don't have the gym environment as you would, you know, with all your mates going there and you sort of had to motivate yourself every session just to get the work done, especially when it came to those big heavy singles, because I was going to do a retest and, uh, you know, having to mentally prepare myself for those heavy singles, knowing that I've only got one spotter to sort of catch the weight. If I do fail, Mm. I was, you know, it was a bit tough Mm. at the start. No, it's not easy. And and what about you, Jackson? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we've been in lockdown since July or early uh, late June, and um, I think what Josh is saying is pretty spot on. The motivation to get in there and do it just sucks. Like you know, most of us training in the garage, middle of winter. Um, it's hard to really get motivated to even get in there and do it. Um, as soon as you start training, you know, it's cold, and as powerlifters, we rest for you know seven to twelve minutes. Some of us even longer, and you just get cold and you don't want to do it. Um, especially the idea of training heavy when you're not sure if your competition or your retest is even going to happen. Um, you just you just really don't want to do it. Um, obviously, down here in New South Wales, compared to you in Queensland, you know you get a couple of snap lockdowns here and there. But you know this is day in day out. We've been in the garage or in the basement since yeah late June, and not really a hundred percent sure on when we're going to get out there and get back in our gym. But the idea of training and competing just isn't really a high priority at the moment um i know for myself i've sort of not looked at any competitions for this year just because i'm sick of getting my hopes up and getting let down by not being able to do anything so it's um more just spinning your wheels and doing it because we've always done it rather than actually training for a purpose or feeling like we're making any considerable progress Mm. yeah no for you guys listening who don't know I'm, i'm up in queensland so i'm fine we've had lockdowns on and off but only for like a week at most and Sydney, you're in Sydney, hey, Jackson, down south. Yeah, nearly in Sydney, a little bit further north than Josh. Yeah, yeah, so both pretty unlucky with lockdown down there because your cases are up over 1,200 now, hey? Mm. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Motivation with the home gym is a massive thing. Um, and as you said, Josh, it gets quite hard to get out there, start training. Core, the floor is cold. There's no one around, you know, not you know, no loud music or anything like that. Um and yeah, Jackson, like you said, uh, it's it's powerlifting, at least for the rest of the year, is not looking hopeful for you guys down south, um, obviously. And, and I can't imagine how you go about training when, you know, nothing to look forward to really. But um, what what will the next, you know, 6, 12 months look like for you guys? Uh, you know, let's pretend COVID sort of eases away because um, obviously there's uh, been a little bit of a shift with the federations. Um, what are you expecting to to kind of do? Because I know you both were from PA. Or you were from PA? Yeah, both of us from PA. Mm. I think uh, Josh and I are in pretty similar but also different boats. We, we both definitely jump ship and we're not really keen on lifting with PA anymore. Um, but I think it comes back to what we want to do and what we want to have fun with. Uh, we, we all start lifting because we enjoy it um, and we fall into a federation typically not for any moral reasons, but just because of that's where we start training. You know, the, the first gym you get into typically ends up the federation you lift with. Um, obviously, Josh being with One Strength and whatnot from Orange, he's always got his roots to WRPF and GPC and stuff like that. Um, so it's probably more towards where he will lean towards going. But um, I'm not really sure. I mean, APU maybe, but you know, the whole idea of lifting with no music is hasn't really been fun for a few years and. I think um, sort of again, you know, we do it for fun. You know, lifting in 
GPC and maybe even Pro Raw if I can put together something respectable enough. Um, it would be good fun. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think it needs to be tested or untested. It's just where you want to do it and what you want to do with yourself more than anything. APL is not on the cards for you? What is that? Tested and untested, I suppose. Tested, untested, but, music. It's not, it's, not a very, it's not a very big fed anyway, so wouldn't really be much competition for you if you're doing tested, but... Um, yeah, no, I, I've had a lot of fun in the APL. I, I came from APU, went to APL. I think I'm going back to APU soon enough, stiff bar. Um, but yeah, no, APL has had, cause I get the, the lifting with music thing. Like when you go to a meet and it's real quiet and it's kind of like, oh, you know, and then you go to a loud one. It's like, holy shit. It's such a huge difference. My, um, my last comp, Josh would have been there. Josh held me out the last comp in December last year. And you're going out for a heavy squat at the time. I was like 280 or something. And um, I've got like soft Rufus music playing at like 5% volume. And like, I, I, I love listening to Rufus, man, but I definitely am not excited to go out and squat mm. heavy. When I've got some soft music playing. It just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. No, not on meat day. I think, um, but I think now that you say that, I think when you guys come out of lockdown um, after having trained alone for so long and under like shitty conditions, that sort of thing probably won't bother you anymore. Like I think, at least for me, I've found because I'm out of I've been through what you guys are going through now because we you know last year for us um, at least for me, so like now I could lift with like you know fairy tale music playing it doesn't bother me at all kind of thing you kind of just get used to it so much and so that's probably something that you guys will experience hopefully in the next few months where if you can get out of lockdown. Um. Well, the first thing I wanted to jump into uh, specifically for you guys, all of your athletes, Jackson, you know, big bench presses. You've said this on your story before, um, big on bench press and you're coached by Sean as well. So uh, kind of makes sense. What, um, what kind of goes into that and how do you see that pattern? Uh, and like, why do you see that pattern happening for your, for your athletes specifically? Um, I think it was a, sort of a reasonable shift. Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily when I started with Sean that everyone started to catch on to trends and bench bigger and better. But um, I think starting with Sean, myself as an athlete, started to sort of push the idea that, you know, potentially I wasn't doing enough and my own clients weren't doing enough on bench press. Um, prior to starting with Sean, myself, I only benched maybe three times a week at the most. Uh, we tried four times with previous coaches. It just didn't really work for me. Um, but then when I started with Sean, we pushed that to four times and we got to five times. Um, that frequency is pretty unheard of of someone of my weight and my strength level. But it started to push the idea of, yeah, you know, was I doing enough before? Um, and I don't think I was. Um, I don't think I was doing enough sets per week. And I started to look at my own coaching, people like Josh, some of my other clients and go, well, can you do more? And, you know, what is limiting you? And, I think the biggest thing was most people run into if they bench more they'll run into a bit of pec pain at the front of the shoulder here or they'll run into tight traps or anything like that but the thing is that the same niggles that i would get everybody else will get like they're pretty you know stereotypical powerlifting niggles you get the same thing we're doing the same movement with varying differences between us you're going to run into that same you know crux of issues always going to be tight at the front of the shoulder linking from the back of the shoulder um, I'm no exercise physiologist, but pretty easy shit to fix. Um, once you start to get on top of those little issues and move the shoulder right, you can just do more. And if you can do more, you know, load is king. You can lift more weight. You can do more reps. If you can do more reps, you can lift more in the long term. And I think that's been the main thing is, you know, getting Josh who, for example, Josh used to do triples and sets of five and not really much more. And we started mixing it up, giving him more reps and more days and, things just start to explode really once you learn to control what's happening here and you can press more and you press more you inevitably put more on the bar mm. and i feel like like my guess would be also for like a max grip bencher like you josh uh sorry you jackson um that that yes. well because josh, josh i was going to actually specifically ask you about your grip in a second um but jackson you obviously max grip and so and i find myself too like uh if i do have any issue it is like the front of your shoulder like where the pec attaches so um, and it's directly for me, at least related to volume, you know, so we've just in the past, if that issue flares up, just back off volume a little bit and then, you know, let it clear and, and move forward again. Is there anything specific that you would do for that sort of issue? Uh, 
like you said, most people are going to run into that same issue and it is typically in wide grip benches, but also your narrow grip and everything like that. You're just moving that joint. You're going to feel pain there. If, you know, that issue is going to arise, it's going to happen in everybody. Um, the thing that I sort of identified was, like I said, those issues were things that I was coming up against when I was benching three times a week. Um, you get pain at the front of the shoulder. It'll come through the bicep. You'll have a tight bicep. You have a tight forearm. Your forearms are screaming through squats and bench. Um, your traps are on fire. So you move on from that and you realize, okay, this isn't right. You know, I'm doing a pretty fundamental movement. I'm, I'm moving my shoulder joint. I'm moving my elbow joint and things hurt. Yes, you can do a certain amount of volume, but if things are hurting, there's probably a deeper reason as to why it's dysfunctional and why it's causing the pain. Um, we have pain that comes from the front of the shoulder, or we, at least we feel it at the front of the shoulder, typically comes from the rear of the shoulder. You're struggling to stabilize that. Um, and that's providing pain that's referring all the way down through the arm. And your sort of last line of defense when you start to feel pain will be pain right here at the front of the elbow um, and also at the front of the shoulder. So if I feel that, I know, okay, I'm probably not stabilizing my shoulder joint enough when I'm bench pressing. Um, certainly if I was to do 50 to 100 sets, I'm sure I'd feel the pain regardless. But, um, you know, for example, I bench 26 to 28 sets a week, sort of max volume. Um, and all of those sets are over 150, which is 75% of my max. Um, you know, it's, I, I wouldn't say that you're going to run into that strictly from volume. I think that there's always a dysfunction in your bench press if you are coming up against pain. Um, if you're starting to feel something here or the top of the trap, obviously the trap is overworking from internal, uh, lack of internal rotation or anything like that. Um, I'd say we've run into the same issues with Josh, you know, sort of mid grip bench as well, but. Um, I don't necessarily think it was a lack of volume. I think it was a, something that was spurring on and has been there for a little while. Um, I'm not sure if Josh wants to comment on any of the techniques that we sort of implemented, like some tempos and um, long pauses and whatnot seem to help with controlling the scapula a bit more. But I think, yeah, at the, the base of that issue, I think it's not necessarily you're doing too much. I think it's you're doing too much, not correctly. Mm. Yeah, well, I was going to ask Josh about your grip anyway, because you are um, one of the only... I guess one of the only big benches in Australia that, that I've seen at least that has such a close grip um, other than maybe the other Josh, uh, big Josh down down south as well. So what's kind of, I mean, how do you get there from a typical bench press grip to like quite close like you are? Oh, well, look, I, I've always sort of started as a pretty close grip bencher. Like before I was even having my, you know, index fingers just outside like the smooth part of the um, bar and then eventually like you know gradually since working with Jackson we've sort of like moved my grip outwards um, which has made you know a massive difference at the end of 2019 you know I benched up uh, 20 yeah 2019 I benched 175 as my max you know less than six months later it was 188 with maybe just a fingers difference in um in grip width and you know no increase in body weight either just from like a few technique changes and um you know, just a few different, you know, other sort of changes that we'd implemented, you know, just made the world of difference. And, um, you know, I find being a mid-grip bencher, like the reason I've sort of stuck with it is my thoughts initially, you know, starting, you know, lifting weights was, you know, if you've got decently strong arms, why not use them? You know, especially, you know, in something like a bench press where it's like, you know, upper body sort of based. Um, you know, you sort of just had, I found like I'd have more control, uh, the closer my grip was in, the closer my grip was, as opposed to, you know, being a max grip, uh, you know, sort of bencher. Like I, I tried it initially, you know, having my middle finger on the rings and, you know, just, it just was just unstable, mm. as unstable as anything, you know. Mm. I, I, um, I guess it's kind of been glorified too by, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of the top lifters, will have that wider grip. And so most people come in and they're like, okay, I need to have a max grip as well. I want to move my grip out. Um, and I think for a beginner, like if I could have gone back, I would have waited to move my grip out because I think it did bring shoulder issues for a little bit. And I have had some shoulder pain in the past. Um, and I also think I would have just gotten a little bit bigger if I had left it a little closer, uh, obviously more range of motion, that sort of thing. Um, but I obviously, you know, the top benches, if you look around the world, um, you know, pretty, pretty standard to have a, a max grip. 
Um, yeah. 100%. So it's it's pretty uncommon to see a closer grip. I'm going to give it a go. I said in one of my posts, I'm going to give a close closer grip a go just because, um, like you said, it's, you know, less shoulder issues. You don't have to stabilize as much. And like you said, if you have strong arms, if you've got really strong triceps, why not use more of them? Um, obviously, the chest is a more dominant muscle, but still, um, you know, if you're doing a max grip, you're, you'll find like, you're re- you know, how much are you using your tricep in a max grip? Like, yeah. it's really not, not, not a heap of involvement. Um, do you remember any specific technique changes that you made or is it just, um, just like gr- the width itself? So it was like the grip width and also just like, you know, using some leg drive techniques and sort of, you know, more like, I don't know, it was a bit of a, a bit of like, look, it's been a multitude of things, like whether it's been like flaring my elbows ever so slightly less tucking, you know, uh, you know, tight, keeping my scaps a bit tighter. Um, just like a, a, a wide variety of things. Like if I'm being honest, some some of the sessions I'd sort of go by feel and, you know, Jackson and I, we'd sort of talk about, you know, what's sort of working and what isn't. Um, like initially I wasn't really a fan of, you know, keeping my ribs high and I'm sure Jackson remembers that video of uh, me sending him, you know, me doing a 160 bench, trying to keep my ribs high and, you know, I completely collapse and it, completely, it like flattens me, you know, six weeks out of... Uh, prep you know it was a bit embarrassing um i yeah i've just sort of had to be you know patient with just you know implementing like smaller things you know like grip width and you know just just different cues like squeezing the bar you know being more internally irritated and whatnot mm. i think one of the things i've noticed as well like i've whenever i've given like bench advice or whatever or even ch- made a change myself it's like people kind of expect the change that you're hoping for to occur really quickly. So it's like, I'm going to bring my grip in. Like it's going to be, you know, I'm going to feel way more stable straight away or I'm going to like go flat feet. I should have better leg drive straight away. And I think with bench um, being so technical, if you're an, if you're an arch lifter, like you really have to be patient for those changes. Cause you know, like a bracing tip in the deadlift might work on the first session, but I found with bench, it takes so much longer for those changes to kind of to kick in um maybe you know i'm not sure for the exact reason but i have to assume it's just because it's so so technically difficult for some lifters um jackson i was going to ask you when you're coaching you know uh, and you're riding bench press will you typically encourage a higher volume because like you said just before you're doing how much like 25 or more sets a week um you know some weeks i'm only doing 30 reps so what is, when you come to bench press, you know, you like bias towards higher volume? Like, would you say to me, you know, like, like you said before about Josh, um, he wasn't doing enough. Would you at first glance think that maybe I wasn't doing enough if I'm only doing 40 reps a week? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's obviously individual. Um, 30 reps for some might be enough or might be pushing a sort of maximum tolerable volume. But in saying that though, it depends. I mean, you're looking at 30 reps and each of your sets, you're accruing volume at RP six, seven, eight, or you're starting to push those higher ends. Um, I think a lot of people can benefit from just stripping that weight right back. Uh, not necessarily working on form, but just accruing quality volume, hitting RP five to six for three days of the week and knowing that each rep that they completed was strong, comfortable with good technique and they're accruing changes that we start to implement. Like Josh mentioned, you know, we wanted a little bit of a higher rear position. We wanted slightly more flare of the elbows. You're not going to feel comfortable doing that if it's RP789. Um, you're not going to want to do it and you're going to fall back into old habits straight away. Um, we obviously looked at, say, Josh's volume and we said, oh, it's, it's not quite enough. Um, but I'm not going to immediately tell him to grip max width and do 50 sets a week and just hope that that's going to be better because he's going to hurt himself or he's going to feel incredibly uncomfortable doing bench press. Um, you might be doing 40 reps a week. Let's just say, for example, your first day of the week, you do two or three sets uh, and you're doing, you know, six, seven reps, something like that. That's decent. I mean, it's enough. You, if you increase the frequency and maybe add another set, but that other set is only RP three or four or just enough to move, you're still working the joint. You're still practicing the pattern. Um, for example, you know, four of my sets, through that week, uh, four by three at 150, which is pretty much nothing. Um, I warm up, I do that, I'm done in 20 minutes. It's just movement. Um, 
most people can probably attest to that. Some of those days where you go in and you just do it and you don't even have to think about it seem somewhat useless, but I think Josh can agree that some of those easier days where you're doing incredibly light RPE, you typically feel better the following day. Um, you might bench two sets of eight at 120, which is pretty light volume for all us boys. But when you jump into your next day, you go, oh shit, it's actually pretty easy now. Like I'm feeling a little more greased up. I'm feeling nice. I'm feeling under the bar and it feels really strong. Um, there's obviously a flow on effect through the week. Like if you're doing 30 of your 40 reps on Monday and Tuesday, by the end of the week, you're probably going to feel pretty average. Um, whereas if you start to span that out and uh, look at up E7 and start of the week, sixes, so on, and sort of building yourself from a peak at the start through to a dip in the bottom and a peak at the end of the week. And you, you start to notice a trend, um, which is probably the biggest thing for me is that you'll find there's going to be days that work better. And typically those days are where we do um, accrue the most work off the highest RPE. And then the other days when you don't necessarily feel as good, when most people would be resting, you're just doing volume for the sake of doing volume. You're just moving. You're not actually really trying that hard. You're just making sure your setup's nice and hitting reps and reps and reps. Um, so obviously you being a heavier boy, what, 110, 112 kilos now, whatever you are. Mm, um, yeah. You're just going to struggle to recover more than someone who's 70, 80 kilos. Um, just the, the sheer amount of muscle that you're going to have, you're moving muscles through uh, range of motion. It's going to be considerably greater than even myself and Josh um, and definitely boys who are 70, 80 kilos or females who are even less than that. Um, it's going to take you longer to recover. So 40 reps might be all you can handle right now, but cross training age may change. You know, I've been benching for a while now, seven, eight years. Um, and I'm only just getting this amount now. And I know my coach, for example, benches more frequently and more weight than I do. Um, and he's been training longer than I have. So mm. I think you can always attempt to do more. It doesn't have to be hard work where you're going, Oh, oh this is terrible. I feel like shit. Um, I'm doing, you know, 25 sets a week and they all feel terrible. Some of them just feel like you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. Um, but it's all part of the, the plan and all part of the process that we implement anyway. Mm. So you'd say, um, like you said, that, that really easy bench day, that two by six at 120 or whatever, um, that might provide like literally no hypertrophy drive, you know, uh, won't do anything for your strength, but you're saying when you come into the, the next session or the important session, your primary day, that you just feel, you know, like a little bit more trained, like you're not as detrained. Um, and like you said, just more fluid. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, like mine is a few triples at 150. Uh, we implemented some some wide grip tempo stuff for Josh at 120, 125. Um, you just get a flow on effect, really. I don't necessarily think that it's feeling more trained. I think it's the fact that you're just moving the joint, um, stopping yourself from stiffening up. I mean, typically most people, when they taper in a competition week, they'll sort of start to bring volume down or bring intensity down and you'll get somewhat of a boost at the end of the week. I mean, that's what we hope for. So why not implement somewhat of a sort of, I guess, a taper in some sort in the middle of your week, uh, your training week, to make that latter part of the week feel better. Um, you're going to do less volume. Sorry, you're going to do lighter volume, but it's going to make you feel stronger at the end of the week. Um, I mean, why would you not implement that if it's no skin off your back you're obviously not training like you're going to die you're just doing it for doing it and most of us at the moment have got time to do it so why not experiment with you know, doing some things that make you feel good week to week rather than just on that competition week mm. and josh you haven't um because i i just when i look at your bench i just think if that was me my elbows would be, my hurt, elbows would be like um with a closer grip um you haven't had any elbow issues that are related to your triceps or is it just been like smooth sailing funny enough like i actually haven't had a lot of elbow sort of issues um i do you know a couple of mildly you know light curls you know pre-benching and also after you know after bench i might just do some forearm uh exercises even warming up like i'm you know a bit of a an advocate of, of uh, you know warming up your arms before you do bench you know whether it's you know forearms a bit of you know bicep sort of stuff and you know just to sort of get that, I don't know, mind muscle connection might be bro science, but it's always just felt right for me. Now, when I was, you know, when I sort of started, you know, lifting that 140 plus range, I'd have this almost routine I'd follow, you know, just to, I guess, like get ready for the session. And, you know, it's, it's sort of paid off now. I'd only really get like 
elbow pain if I misgrooved a set badly, uh, where my touch point might have been too high and I would have, you know, crunched my elbow underneath the uh, the weight. Like that a skull been. crusher. <laughs> yeah, and that you know sometimes that would happen and it just annoy me, especially if I if I got a bit lazy and I'd you know self unrack when the uh, you know the handout wasn't available. Uh, mm. Yeah, one actually, it's funny you say that about the the bro signs and the arms thing because I was thinking of a post today uh, for the podcast and I thought of one. I didn't end up posting it, but it was about like just listening to your body and because like this is my thought process. You know, powerlifting is such a young sport. the The information that we have is so limited in terms of studies and stuff. And I thought, you know, as you know on Instagram, people can never agree with each other. So my my thought process was when you're warming up. Like obviously, you know, listen to your coach's advice and do things that are logical. But at the end of the day, it's going to be how you feel and like what feels good for you. So like, let's just say, for example, like just off the top of my head, doing hip 90 90s for sumo, right? Like you could probably find someone who hates that and says that they're useless and could probably find a study that proves it that, you know, whatever, like there's always something wrong with something. But if it feels really good for you, and it makes your sumo feel nice or it makes your hips feel nice. Like, what does it matter if someone's saying it, it doesn't work? Like, and like you mentioned with the arm thing, you know, what is getting a little, you know, bit of blood flow in the bicep, like, you know, it probably does help the elbow joint and it might not make any like measurable difference, but it feels good for you and mentally, you know, it helps. And I just thought like, you know, cause I, and I ended up making a joke about it on my story. It was like when you post a warm up and, it's not supported by like a, a shit ton of science or whatever, you know, people will have a go at you. And it's like, one, I don't care how anyone else warms up, you know. Um, but two, like if it feels good for them, whether it's physically or just mentally doing it helps them, you know, I did this exercise so I should feel good and then placebo and they do feel good. It's like, what does that matter? Um, and yeah, I just thought doing what feels good for you, specifically on bench press, you know, when I warm up for bench, I might just do a couple sets. Of, if I feel really good going into the gym, all I need is a couple sets of lat pull downs, and you know I just I'm benching the bar. I don't do like a big, you know I've never had any. You know I've had a little bit of shoulder pain, but that was ages and ages ago. So um, that's you know someone say might say that that's wrong, but that's what feels good for me. So you know and and I'm not running in, into any issues. So you know, um, but yeah, I thought that was one something I, I would love to cover just because people love to rip on, you know, what others do and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I completely like, you know, like you said, warming up your arms feels good. So what, you know, do it. Yeah. yeah. I reckon like people can make it, you know, powerlifting as complicated or as easy as they like, you know, especially with warm ups. you know, it's like whether it's, you know, just a, you know, 10 second foam roller, you know, back roll, you know what I mean? Just like, just as like an example yeah but like yeah just you know all these specific you know warm-ups but you know i think it's also you know jackson's always said to me like you know warm up what you usually do even when he you know first started coaching me he was always like uh you know saying oh i'll give you a couple warm-ups but you know just do what you know as well uh just because you know you're more comfortable with it and almost like yeah just sort of if it cues you mentally you know why not just do it you know like it's like sometimes with some deadlifters like they'll um you know, just rip at the bar when they first, you know, even if it's 70, even if it's 120, some people find it cringeworthy, others don't, um, you know, but some people it just, you know, you know, excites them a bit, you know. Oh, do you mean like violently warming up? Is that what yeah. you mean? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, they rip at the bar, you know, sometimes I do that just so it like switches me on. I'm like, okay, you know, I've got to do a heavy deadlift or I've got to do a couple of sessions and it just gets me in like the mode, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm guilty. I've made fun of that, but I've made fun of it when you put it on Instagram. Like if you're posting yeah. your, your one plate warm ups just because yeah. you, you're violently doing it, you know, then yeah. it you know becomes a little bit funny. But yeah, like I, I've even found myself, if I know I have a big deadlift that day, you know, high RP, whatever, I'll go out to the gym, uh, my home gym, and I'm just like, I'll find myself doing random warm ups that I haven't done in the previous weeks just because I feel like I should be doing more you know, as a conventional deadlifter, how much do you need to do to warm up other than the bar? Um, and, you know, I'll find myself doing some random warm up that I'd mm -hmm. never done before just in, a, in anticipation of, you know, because as someone who doesn't warm up much, um, just because, you know, for, for example, squats, all I, you know, I can, I've never had an issue with depth or, you know, anything like that. So 
my yeah. my warm ups are very simple, and I know I should probably do more. I just I just don't. Um, so sometimes I'll feel like psych myself up and like feel a bit bad that I haven't warmed up. So I'd be doing this, you know, some side lying yeah. plank with some breathing thing, yeah. and I'm like, what am I doing? Like this is not what I usually do. This isn't what works for me, and I just stick with you know, like I said, sticking with what makes me feel good. Um, you know, it's the same thing with bench press. You're walking to the gym and someone will be doing like heavy sets of like external rotations on the cable machine. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, I've that specifically, I've done that exercise, but with no weight. And they're there for 20 minutes doing like a third of the stack trying to, and it's like, man, just yeah. go, you know, go on bench. Don't, don't worry too much about like all that other stuff. But yeah, I mean, each to their own. And, and like I just said, I can't, I can't say anything because I did just say, do what feels good. So if that makes them feel good, you know, whatever um but yeah i think people do complicate the bench press warm-ups a, a little it, it comes down to the fact for me and you're doing i know there's a lot of people out there who will do 45 minutes plus of warm-up drills and um, breathing things like that of course those things have merit however the idea of warming up is you should be warm if you're spending 45 minutes doing something the effects of the first couple of things that you've done have probably worn off already and you would be better off just jumping straight in without doing them um you can move your scapula, you can do arm curls, you can do tricep extensions, you can do everything you want, but that might make you feel good there and then, but 40 minutes down the track, if you've only done the bar or 70 kilos at that point, what was the point of even doing it at all? You should have just jumped under the bar. Mm. Um, you're going to move away from the effects that you even get from those, if anything, um, very quickly. Like you said, foam rolling for, for 10 minutes might just send a few pops to your back, make you feel a bit more nimble than normal, but you know, that is placebo effect. We all know that foam rolling isn't going to provide any considerable um, measure towards your mobility or anything. However, it feels good. And I'll, you know, I'll roll over a foam roller and pop my back and give my shoulders a quick stretch or a throw around before I get under the bar. But it all happens within a span of five to 10 minutes and I'm benching. I don't feel like a lot of people really need to fluff around and do those sort of rehab, prehab drills straight away. You can do those while you are warm, while you are benching. You're not going to notice a difference by spending an hour to warm up than you would be to do those throughout the session or even post bench you're mm. going to create that change through time and not before you even get under the barbell like you're not going to provide a considerable difference to how that bench session feels by doing an hour plus of stretching and mobility mm. call me crazy but i've also done it i've like done the bar done a, a certain warm-up i think at the time it was the external rotations because i had shoulder issues done 70 done more of it done a hunt like i'm you know doing it kind of while i'm warming up while i'm warming up and like i you know i wasn't in a rush or anything i just thought well I, these sets like i'm not going to be tired from some external rotations between 70 and 100 kilos why you know why would i not do it between here and save some time or whatever um and like you said you said before bigger dudes you know like take longer to warm up usually take longer to recover i've been in the i've walked into the gym seen a guy warming up for squats did my squat warm up, worked up to a heavy single at eight, and he had just started squatting by the time I got to like two thirty or whatever it was at the time. And it's like, did all that stuff that you just did, did it pay off? Or, or you know, were you just wasting time for forty five minutes and and you know, maybe they're injured, whatever. But it's pretty common to see like oh, because I, like I said, I don't do many warm ups, everyone else is still like half an hour behind. And I just think like you either have like a lot of time or you've been misled by someone at some point about how warming up should look. Um, and yeah, that's why I really like that. You know, if it feels good for you, if it works, kind of stick with it um, theory just because, you know, why would I do stuff that didn't provide any value for my bench or whatever? Yeah. And also in saying that, like you said, if it feels good, um, keep doing it. But is something that someone's doing, does it feel good? But would something feel better? Um could you roll around on a foam roller and feel pretty good? Or could you roll around on a foam roller for five minutes, stretch your shoulders, um, do a couple of drills and get under the barbell and feel even better. Mm. Uh, I think being open to what you're doing and being open to what someone else is doing. Um, a couple of drills might feel really good. Um, and if you know this is a specific weakness or something that's bothering you, you know, maybe focus on that a little more, but still do what feels good for you. But like you said, you know, you're doing external rotation drills while you're warming up, like you're already putting blood into those joints and putting blood into the muscles that are externally rotating. So why would you then not try to do those drills in between those sets rather than trying to do a banded workout 
and then do your bench press? Like, are you going to provide any serious change or is it going to even make you feel any better? Um, mm. yeah, like I just, obviously, I'm at home, so you can't do your 45 warm-ups. You can't do lap pull-downs and uh, cable bicep curls and all sorts of stuff. Like, I've only got one band, so pretty limited what you can do at the moment, but are you going to go, oh, well, I'm not benching now because I can't do five sets of lap pull-downs before I bench press? Like, mm. it's... Think yeah, of all the yeah. think of, like this. Think of all the time you could spend doing accessories if you didn't warm up for an hour. Like that's how many. That's all of your accessories again. You know how long do they take? An hour. So yeah. Uh, yeah. But I just think you know each to their own. Like I said, I don't, I'm not I'm not hating on anyone in particular, but yeah, just a couple of observations that I've made uh, recently. Being in a gym more and more, I just different types of characters and different warm ups and stuff, and I just think well. You know, I'm, I'm happy I've been blessed with not having to warm up too much. I never feel tight or anything like that. And, you know, um, I'm taller as well. So, you know, you typically like struggle with depth or whatever like that, you know, just walk in, do the, the hip flexor, the quad stretch, you know, that couch one, a foot up behind you and ready to squat. Um, you know, I haven't had to complicate it and I'm not going into, and you know, if I get injured, whatever, I'll make changes. But yeah, um, another note that I had for you boys was uh, the coach-client relationship. And Jackson, I actually think I saw something on your story recently, uh, something about uh, not having, not forcing communication if it's not needed. Or, or I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, misquote you, but something like, you know, if all they need is a couple of texts and to fill the sheet out, then only give them that. You know, um, was that kind of? Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, it's been circulating around a little bit in that. Um a lot of people sort of start to push the thing of our oh, 24 seven communication and all that other crap. So you're saying you can reach me all the time and I'm here to listen to everything you have to ask about training, which is a fair and valid point. I mean, most people would like to get responses and would like constant communication with someone who's coaching them. Um, that is fantastic. I certainly agree with that in that you should be able to ask all questions and uh, your coach should be providing you with feedback very often however I, I think what a lot of people will attest to is the fact that if you work with a coach for a period of six to 12 months or even more um you don't really have a whole lot of questions for them um it's good to get some insight into where your training's heading or what your plans are but if your form's pretty good i mean obviously if you're working with someone for six months you should be targeting and you should be working pretty well together um your technique should be ample. You should be basically just training. Um, if all that communication ends up being week to week is sort of just talking as mates or just checking in, watching some videos and making sure things are moving like smoothly, well, simple as that. I mean, if things are going well, why do you need to change things? Um, I know with Josh, you know, Josh doesn't feel his sheet in sometimes as I'm a culprit as well. I hardly feel my sheet in for my coaches, but um I don't really have a whole lot of questions to ask my coaches. And I know that Josh just does the work and you know, I ask him if he's sheet in, I update his sheet and we watch a few videos and we move on. I mean, it's not a whole lot to pick at. And most of the time that's all it is. I mean, you didn't have a coach when you first start training and things move well. So if a coach is just providing you with some guidance and training and picking on things that they need to be picked on, well, it's pretty easy. I mean, most people, We'll, we'll look at it and go, oh, my coach isn't communicating. If I know a lot of people who reach out to international coaches who have a pretty large roster of people, um, they'll get a little bit slack and they might get communication once a week or if that and just an email response, which is pretty brief. Um, it comes down to expectations of that. If you're expecting for you know Mike Teixeira or any of those coaches to be your best mate and contact you every day, well, you're going to pay a lot of money and you know, they're probably not going to want to talk to you every day about the small things that go on in your life because their job is their business. Um, but if you reach out to you know, Tom, Dick and Harry from the local gym and you, you chat shit with them every day at the gym and they talk to you about your life and watch your lifts 24-7, well, that's awesome. That's what you'd expected from them. Um, but I think most of us who've been lifting for a while, there's not really a whole lot of guidance that you need. You just need the plan laid out for you and a little bit of instruction from your coach. Um, once you sort of hit the groove and hit the ground running, you're simply just doing the work that's put out in front of you. And, you know, most of the time you're just, just chatting shit with your clients rather than actually providing anything that's structural or any sort of key information and less directed to do that. Um, I think Josh can attest to the fact that once we sort of hit a strategy for a peak and we just practice that and continue that, well, he's got some questions in regards to what we're doing and 
we answer those and we move on. But I don't think that you need to be communicating as much as what people think. Most of us should be pretty autonomous with our training. Um, you, you, you can't really sort of be there with your hand being held. Um, you're not paying a coach to hold your hand. You're, you're paying them to give you some structure and to give you feedback and advice when it's necessary. What do you think about this topic, Josh? Because and I'll give and I'll give my my two cents after. But what do you think? Oh, look, I think it's yeah. Every like Jackson was sort of saying, like everyone's different. Everyone expects you know something different from a you know who they who they have as like a coach. You know, me myself, I'm you know especially now, I've like I feel like I'm you know a bit more independent than I was initially. Uh, initially starting with Jackson. I used to bombard him with questions all the time, like, you know, am I hitting depth or, you know, should I have these knee sleeves or these wrist wraps or, um, <laughs> you know, stuff like, oh, yeah, am I arching properly? You know, is this angle good? Uh, you know, but now, now it's more sort of like, you know, I'll send him a top set. Uh, otherwise, I'll just sort of record the videos for my own purposes and I'll just send him, you know, the main ones that, you know, like if I've hit a PR, for example, I'll send him that, like a single or any bad sets that have sort of gone wrong, I'll sort of just badge him about that. Uh, other than that, really, like I, you know, more of our conversation isn't, you know, we don't really, you know, talk like 24 seven about training. Uh, it's just, you know, just a couple of the major issues that might happen. You know, like if, for example, like if my pet gives me grief, uh, which in the past it has, we'll sort of just talk about that, uh, you know, what might be causing it, know which sessions it's going to hurt otherwise that like you know we just keep it pretty like you know low maintenance almost mm. and that's that's what i expected from jackson you know like i didn't I didn't want more than someone to check in with every now and then mm. so what you're saying josh is um is correct but obviously at the start of a coach-client relationship your communication is going to be probably more um you will be talking a lot more and you will be fixing a lot of potential issues or you know form critique and things like that but as i said you know after six months if you haven't corrected those things or if you're constantly nitpicking and finding things that your client's doing wrong well it's more of a reflection of you as a coach if six months down the track and they're still doing things you didn't want them to do well you know why didn't you pick up on those things earlier and why did you give them a strategy to get to a point where training does become autonomous I think a lot of coaches will go, oh, well, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. Well, if your client is constantly thinking about what they're doing wrong and not what they're doing right, well, is that a reflection of you as a coach in that they are not doing things correctly and haven't been doing things correctly the whole time? Training should be fun. You should be doing the right thing. Your, your form should be good. Um, but I think over time, you will develop a point where your coach is happy with you lifting and it's simply then just lifting week to week. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I just thinking, yeah, I, I agree with all of that essentially. Like, um, I've been lucky in that my coach, well, not like, you know, well, my coach has a job and, and you guys listening be like, Oh, he talks about this all the time. My coach has a, a, you know, a real job. So, um, like a nine to five essentially even longer. So I've had to make a lot of decisions on my own and you know, that has benefited me greatly. I think in now that, now that I do coach a bunch of guys, um, all those decisions that I made, on my own for the last 18 months because, you know, he was at work or whatever, um, you know, those on-the-spot decisions, should I go up, should I say it this way, should I stop here, you know, what do I do if I have pain, all that sort of thing. Now I can answer that for other people because I've dealt with that all on my own and I think um, when you do get into coaching, I'd have to imagine if you were in one of those relationships where it was like very 24-7, like you need guidance for everything or, or you expect it at least, um, then when you face those issues with your clients, you know, this hypothetically, if you do go on to coach, um, you haven't really had to think kind of for yourself, um, in, in a way. So I think, you know, I'm very grateful for, you know, we talk like mates and, um, he you know, answers any questions that I do have, but sometimes it's after work, which is completely understandable, but, in the meantime, I've had to think for myself and, um, you know, I don't just ask a question, get it and get a response straight away. I ask a question and I have a lot of time to think, you know, about it after. So maybe I've, you know, found the answer before he even replies. So I think, uh, for me, at least as an athlete and now a coach as well, it's been a huge, um, you know, it's, it's helped me a lot. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, and you know, you do come across people who, uh, who want that, 
kind of more uh, regular contact. And that's like you said, it's cool. Like that's what they want. That's how they want to grow as an athlete. Um, and I think being open to that sort of communication is really important as well. You know, if someone needs, um, if someone need, you know, some of my clients need me more than others, that's I'll you know I'll do whatever they want you know they 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 hire you know they pay me so it's like um, if someone wants to talk all the time or or you know wants to take ages to reply to me when they when I ask them to fill in their sheet that's you know that's that's it that's part of the job so it's like um, everybody's different and I think you know I think adapting to adapting to your clients essentially and not and not making them adapt to you kind of thing. Um, you know, over time, I've had people who start off with a heap of heap of contact and now they're the opposite just because we've grown together and he's grown as an athlete. So I think it was, you know, it was overwhelming at first, sure. But now, you know, now they're on top of it and, and our relationship works for them and works for me. Um, and that takes time. But that was something that, you know, you do learn slowly. Now, looking back, I kind of have that knowledge about it. But at the time, I was like, how, you know, what's the best way to deal with this? And so then, you know, I was very grateful for what I had been through. So, um, I, yeah, I agree with, you know, all that stuff that you guys said just now, I think, um, but the best thing you can do is just be mates with your coach as well. If you can talk as if it's a friendship and not like a a business type deal, I, you know, I haven't experienced the business communication side of it, but I have to imagine that kind of sucks sometimes. Um, you guys obviously seem like mates as well. So I, you know, have to imagine that that's how you guys talk and, um, yeah. But yeah, that's at least my take on it. Yeah, I think um, it it all comes down to expectation. If if you're expecting constant communication from your coach, um, you know, ask them that. If if that's something they're going to offer to you, well, cool. But if that then is your expectation and you are reliant on that, like you said, what do you do when you don't get a response immediately? Something goes wrong in your coach's life, or if they have a job, like I have a full time job as well. Um, if I can't reply immediately because I'm doing something with my, my job, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to solve the problem for yourself or are you going to have a cry and sit down and not do your training till I'm available? Um, it's, it comes down to that. I mean, most of the time you'd be watching a client's videos and you're just checking in, making sure things are moving the way they are. If they've got a question and it's somewhat urgent, they can talk to you. However, if you're not available, do they answer the question themselves or do they have a cry? Um, I'm not saying that in a way like, oh, your question's not valid. It's just that at some point you may not be there to answer the question. Um, you know, my coach is from the US. He's asleep when, you know, in the afternoon because that's just the way the world works. I'm not going to get a response there and then. Um, Sean, if he's heard this, has an absolute retarded sleep pattern. So he's awake most of the time. But, um, you know, for a lot of people who, who do reach out to international coaches, you're not going to have constant communication because you'll be training when it's midnight you're not going to get that answer to your question that you want there and then while you train. Um, or like you said, your, your coach works full time between nine and five. You know, if, if your training is that you're training between that time, you're not going to get a response. Um, and if you've outlined that from the start and that was something that you, was a non-negotiable for you in that coach client relationship, well, it's not the right coach for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to find someone who talks to 30, 40 clients of theirs every minute of every day, well, good luck finding it. Um, I hope you do. And I hope that that works out for you. Um, but un- unfortunately for people who do rely on that, it's, it's not the case. Um, they find that in a gym, you know, you might sign up at the local gym and the coach is on the floor the whole time. Like that's awesome. That works for you. Um, other things work for other people. It's really a matter of what you expect from that cl- uh, coach client relationship and whether that adapts or not going forward. If you become, more autonomous in your own training or you're, you know, need your hand held the whole time, but either either is fine. Mm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, before we log off boys, and I think, I think we had one more topic. Um, Josh, I think it was actually you that gave this one. Uh, the relationship between estimated one RM and true one RM. Um, I want to know what you have to say about it for a start, but I just thought, because uh, estimated one rep max is not something that I've actually used. I never use it for myself because I've always been someone whose rep work is completely way off from their singles work. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think about their relationship? And you know, those calculators and stuff, how accurate can they really be um, in the first place? Um, so yeah, in regards to like, yeah, estimated one rep max and uh, one rep max, I 
look, I've, I've never really sort of looked into it that much, you know, as of recently, at least, you know, in this past year, uh, you know, because my, my rep work, you know, just like just like yours is, is, you know, is not really a reflection of your top end strength. Like, um, you know, to hit my, you know, 200 bench, you know, I hadn't even done a triple of 170 before, uh, nor anything more than 167 and a half or, you know, one set of, uh, you know, like four or five reps. Um, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's cool to sort of, you know, see what your potential is based on what you can do for reps. But I feel like a lot of people get a bit big headed, you know, looking at their estimated one rep maxes, you know, especially after like, you know, a big fat, you know, triple and being like, oh yeah, I did a 250 or 255 for a triple. Now I'm going to deadlift a 290. You know, I sort of fell into a bit of that uh, trap. You know, when I deadlifted 260 for three, I was like, oh mate, you know, I've got 300. You know, yeah, you know, two, 300, you know, in the bag. And I was like, you know, that humbled me, you know, brought me back down to earth pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I like, you know, I think it's, you know, personal preference, whether you like looking at your estimated one rep max or not. But I feel like, you know, for some people, it's not really an accurate, you know, reflection. Because when you have that heavy weight in your hands or on your back, it's completely different to what you're doing, you know, 30, 40 kilos lighter for a set of six. I think it's funny, you know, sometimes I'll see like a, a triple at nine and a half or 10. And it's like, hell yeah. Like you just said, just hit this triple. Can't wait to like take like 50 kilos above or whatever like for a single and it's like like that's cool like if you i think this is for me at least if you're with a new client who who's let's say they did sixes they did triples and they're like to you what do you think we'll take for a single maybe i'll use a calculator then because if like they've never done singles before but like i think if you're any like accredited lifter knows what their singles are like compared to their volume work. So the, the, the using a calculator doesn't even make any sense. Cause it's like, well, you know, for example, me, if I use one, I'll have to, you know, take, I'd have to add like 20 kilos to it because my, my work is so different to, you know, the average person. So it's like, um, then I guess it becomes useful if it's a, a new client, but I think some people like to pretend that they're accurate for them. Um, so it'll be like, you know, obviously like a screenshot of a, of an estimated one RM someone's story or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. Like, but is it, is it accurate? Is that actually going to happen or, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like relying on numbers when, you know, you know, we all know how, you know, the variability is behind training. Like, yeah, one block. Cause you know, from memory, like I, I think I did, uh, a six, my last time I did sixes, I took 145 on bench. And I think last time I attempted a heavy triple, I failed 160. So you would think 145 for six would definitely equal 160 for three, or at least very close in the next block. And I failed. And it's like my singles, you know, it's not like my top end strength had fallen or anything like that. It's just, it wasn't the best block for bench. And so, you know, if I, if I had to use those calculators, if I had to stuck to, you know, what what percentages should allow for what reps or whatever, I, I probably would have been pretty devo or, you know, thought like what is happening to my bench and all that sort of thing. But um, I never look at that stuff. So I'm like, it never bothers me. It's just like, oh, it's just one of those days, you know? My, um, <clears throat> for reference, my obviously pretty well known, I guess, to a lot of people that my bench volume is ridiculous to what I actually press. Um, quite opposite to what you're saying. Um, I'll do 170 for eight. Uh, my best triples 187. I've done five at you know, 178, whatnot. I'm hitting a lot of work, a lot of volume, but still yet to press 200. Um, Josh, like he said, never tripled 170. I've done 170 for eight and he's benched you know, one kilo more than I have. Um, my estimated one rep max on bench press spits out routinely 212, 215, 217, um, and whatnot. And I'm still not hit 200. Uh, maybe capable of that, yeah, of course. But, you know, I'm still not going to go ahead and load up 215 and hope for the best space on the calculator. Um, in saying that as well, you know, one of the best blocks I've had in training for squats and deadlifts and spits out 310, 315 on squat. My best is shy of 290. Um, 
on deadlifts, it'll spit out 345, um, still haven't pulled over 325. So, you know, your calculator is all well and good. And I guess it can be a training tool to see if those things are climbing, you're doing more volume, but, you know, put up or shut up, you know, deadlift the max that it tells you you're going to do or, or don't even yeah. bother saying. Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's a good tool. I think it's a good tool, like, right? You know, like any other tool, it's how you use it um, and how it affects you mentally and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean... I'm at the point where, like, if I hit a triple, I know without even looking at a calculator what the single would be, you know? Like, I know my training pretty well. I think that's come down to taking... I don't know how you guys do your coaching, but when I... With my coach, um, I'll take notes every session. At the end, I email it off to him. You know, it's it's not like a full system because he's not a full... You know, he's not a full-time coach, so that's how we do it. I write notes and email to him. He emails me back with the next week. So, I know some coaches have sheets and I have a sheet, Um but I think taking note, like I've got the last 18 months worth of notes every single week on my phone. Um, so that alone, mm. that alone is all the information I'd ever need as to what an ER, E estimated one RM is for me. It's my own notes. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you're not paying close attention to your own training, um, then that stuff kind of goes to your head. But I think, you know, most good lifters know, you know, Oh, I've had people say to me, you know, oh, you should be able to hit this or that. It's like, or like the opposite, you know, oh, that was an RP10. It's like, if I, here's another thing. If I put, this was an RP10 in my caption or nine, like it was just because it looked fast, just because I'm a fast lifter, like just because I squat fast, it doesn't mean it wasn't, you know, two kilos off a 10 for that day. Um uh, that wasn't relevant. It just kind of gets to me sometimes. Like people will be like, oh, that wasn't RP10 or whatever. And it's like, but well, you got to understand, like it's so different for everyone. Some people think that it has to look the same for, you know, all different types of lifters. And it's like my comp squat, you might've called an RP eight and a half or an eight for some people based on the speed, but based on how heavy it was, it was a nine and a half, 10 for me. So, you know, just your own, you know, that's why I think it's so different. I've I've not paid any attention to what other people do for reps either, because I know it's different for me. And like like you said, Jackson, your reps are so high compared to Josh's. Yet he benches, you know, a ki- whatever a kilo more. Um, and in in your head, you'd be thinking like, I would imagine if if you let it get to you, oh, why am I doing one seventy for eight? He's never even tripled it. And you know what's going on. But it's like, well, we're all, you know, and the calculator would say the same thing. It would be like, what is going on with your bench? And it does, like you said. Um, but yeah, it all, it all comes down, like you said, you know, it's, it's a tool for your own training. Um, we know through the, the relationship Josh and I have of, you know, what is going to happen based on what he can triple, um, spit that into a calculator. It tells him his bench is 185 and that's his top end strength. Well, that's cool. But you know, every tool has a purpose and you're not going to hammer in a nail with a screwdriver. Um, you're going to use the right tool for the job. And we know that, you know, 170 for three for Josh is, you know, incredible and he's going to press 210, who knows, you know, uh, we work that out as, you know, coach and client, just as, you know, Sean and I work out that me doing 170 for eight doesn't really mean fuck all for how I'm going to bench a top end single because I'm still not going to do what the calculator says. Mm. Um, everyone's different for squat bench and deadlift. Um, well, you hear a lot of people say, um, oh, my singles are this, I get 10% out of this and we'll, good on you like you know if you get 10 percent and i get three percent well that's awesome um you know you better than than i know you and that's just how it's going to be so mm. i guess as well with josh's bench i'd have to imagine um at least when i've done close grip you know your bench would be my close grip whatever uh the drop off is really really quick so i'll do six reps and it feels like air <laughs> and then the tricep fatigue fit like kicks in and you've got one more maybe or two and like one and the last one is like, Oh my God, my triceps are going to rip off the bone. And it's like, um, is that how, is that what it is for you as well? Yeah. It's like you were saying before, like what you said was a you know, a nine and a half or a 10 to you, uh, you know, might not be considered like a 10 to other people might be considered like a seven and a half or an eight. I found that, you know, particularly with my bench, you know, anything above five, you know, the drop off is insane. Like, I feel like, you know, trying to do like a pause set of, you know, eight at 150, you know, it'll fly for like the first six, seven reps by the eighth rep, you know, RP nine, you know, straight from like a six and a half straight to to like a nine. Um, Yeah, but that's, you know, that's just one of the cons with, um, you know, closer grip bench, you know, you've got to sort of know where your limits are. Um, 
in a way, like, you know, back onto the EO estimated one rep max uh, conversation, it does have some sort of benefit, like what we were sort of discussing with mentality. Um, you know, like if your estimated one rep max is said to be higher than, you know, you know, if you've got like a triple, say 260 and, you know, your estimated one rep max, you know, it could put a bit of lead in your pencil, you know, when you have to do a retest uh, that, you know, you've got sort of like the data or the data, should I be saying, you know, for that particular, like, you know, lift, even though it might not be there, but it'll give you the confidence to say, you know, I'll back myself, I can do it or, you know what I mean? Mm. So like the calculator would be really good for you and I say, but might suck for Jackson to look at yeah, in terms of, I... in terms of like what it means mentally. Cause for me, when I look at something, I'm like, oh, well I can easily, you know, like I can easily do that. And then, you know, Jackson's is, well, actually no, because mine is way off as well. Um, yeah. But like how it's going to affect you mentally is, has to come, you know, cause people will spend, people will be like, Oh, I just did this triple. Like, let me just quickly go on the calculator. And it's like, I've seen it a lot. People will, every time they do something new, it's like, Oh, what is, you know, what does that mean for my one RM? It's like, just mm. wait, dude, wait till next block. You're going to do singles. Just wait and find out. Don't worry about if there's one thing that I keep learning more and more, it's that I need to be less emotional with my training and get more detached from numbers. And every single prep, I'm like, wow, I was thinking about that squat single every week way too much. And it ran me into the, like, you know, I've not had a bad prep, but um, I always think like, what if I wasn't so emotional with what I wanted to hit at seven, what I wanted to hit at eight, maybe I'd overshoot less or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that the calculator just adds to that sort of thing anyway. Yeah, dude, I was in the same boat, you know, started this prep, you know, I was, you know, probably like eight weeks out, you know, trying to do some IPA triples and, you know, Loading up 190 for like, you know, an RPA bench when I've been prescribed, you know, RP6, you know, just like you were saying, you know, that mental, you know, being emotional about it and just sort of uh, letting your ego chase in because you, you're thinking of, you know, what can the end result be or, you know. The thing is what, what I found this prep was so like I just came from a block where I did bench singles. So I came from a volume block with bench singles to prep with bench singles. And so at the end of the volume block, I hit 180. And I did it at like nine and a half. And so I come into this next block thinking, okay, well, I've got an RP7 single. I just did 180 at nine and a half. Yeah. It should be like one seven, you know, it's it, like, you know, yeah. and it was like 157. And it's like, it, it wasn't, it would have been, I didn't take, you know, I overshot on the first week. So it's like, um, yeah. everyone's in my comments like, oh, you undershot. It's like, no. <laughs> um, and it's like, well, yeah, a week, two weeks ago before the deload, I was in peak condition. I just deloaded and now I'm week one, still getting rid of some accumulative fatigue. I'm detrained. I haven't been thinking about it. And it's like, of course, it's not going to be exactly what you wanted. So I think like what I'm going to do next time is, oh, what would this be in peak condition? So two weeks ago in the, at the end of the last block and then take like seven kilos off and just be really safe with like what I think a seven should be, what I think an eight should be because what it was when you were peaked or when you were week four of the block, it's not what it's going to be. It, like, it's not yeah. going to have the, like, like, um, it's not going to have, um, I lost the word now. Like proportionately, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be way off. So another thing that kind of, like you said, meant like, you know, getting in my own head a bit. Yeah, you don't really want to be piped from the first week after your um, you know, retest. You know, trying to you know, yeah. do a heavy. That's it. Anyway, I think yeah, mm. I think Jack was going to say something. So yeah, it's it's good what you're saying though. In that you want to detach from numbers. Um, I think everyone gets into RPE training, and your first thought is, oh shit, yeah, I get to train at X stimulus every week. You know, I get to really push myself and find what I'm capable of. But you're lying to yourself if you say that you don't have a number in mind before you get into the session. Um, you know you want to lift X for that day and you don't have it in your head the whole week. I've got a single at seven. I've got a single at eight. I want to hit X number. It's not really part of the training. Like we don't, we shouldn't be going into that session with a number that we want to hit because you're going to hit that regardless of the RPE. And you're going to take that eight. Like you're going to do us. You, you sound you sound like what my coach wants to say to me because <laughs> he's yeah. always like, don't think about it before the session. Because like you said, if you have a single at the end of the week, oh, like, you know, RP8, nine single, it's like, oh, I want to hit this. And then you just hit it anyway because you were going to load it regardless of how you felt on the warm-ups because you're an idiot like me. And then it's the wrong RPE. 
It's yeah, like, but you get yeah. out of it, you tell yourself, oh, that was at eight. I know that was at eight. I know my own training. Uh, no, none, all of you don't know it. I, that was at eight. Like, it's good on you. Like, if, if you want to hit that number and you feel like that provides any merit, that's awesome. Like, you've gone ahead and you've hit X number and you've moved away going, cool, I did it. Um, awesome. But it doesn't serve any real purpose for your training data. And again, when it comes into estimated one rep maxes, if, if you tell yourself that was at seven or at eight, um, and it wasn't, well, you're going to get this number that's spat out, you know, five kilos more than uh, you could probably do anyway. And if your calculator is wrong and you enter in data that you think is right, it's going to make it even worse. You're going to, you know, do a single at bench at 170 and it, it actually moved like you had nothing left and you tell it it's at seven. It's going to tell you you can do 195 and you, you're going to die when you unrack that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's a, you know, you've got to use it wisely. I think that's why having a coach that isn't afraid to tell you the truth, regardless of mm. how it's going to make you feel. So, you know, I've, I've been told, you know, stuff that might hurt someone else's feelings, not in a mean way, just in like a, you know, come back down to earth kind of way because I, you know, get a big head with my training. So, you know, but that's, I think that's the most important thing in the relationship like we spoke about before. It's knowing what your client needs to hear not what they want to hear kind of thing. Cause you know, I'd love to hear that my sumo was good first week, but you know, the wedge sucked and my, you know, I rushed it and you know, and that's, and I got told and it's like, well, cool. That's what I need to hear for my own training. Mentally I'll move on in 10 seconds, but my training will benefit from the honesty. So, but yeah, guys, I, um, we're running out of time again here with zoom is going to, going to quit on us. Um, I appreciate you both coming on, uh, it's Friday afternoon. Go enjoy yourselves. Uh, in, in quarantine, I guess, Jackson. But um, yeah, thanks again for coming on. I had a good time. And I think this one will go up tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I'd say. So you guys in, 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 in the US will be hearing this on Friday. It'll be Saturday for us. Uh, but yeah, guys, cheers.